Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sit Down with Sibs, where each week I sit down with some of South Africa's most recognizable faces. This week, I have the pleasure of sitting down with David Scott, who's otherwise known as the Kiffness. Not one to shy away from controversy, he's definitely experienced the highs and the lows of what it's like to be a recognizable face in South Africa. I'm looking forward to being able to sit down, find out a little bit more about his creative process, a little bit about his journey, and about his lockdown. And this week, we're down in Claremont, Cape Town, at Hudson's Burger Joint. How's it, Dave? Thanks. How's it, Sibs? Thank you so much for joining, dude. Um, I yeah, really man. appreciate it. It's good to be here. Yeah, and it's a weird one, because it's sort of, um, I sent you that DM on Instagram. Yeah. And then you hadn't like read it, and then what happened was I was sitting in my kitchen, and I was going through my phone, and you, your live came up. Yes. I clicked it, and then for some reason, obviously the red button came up for a send request. I honestly had no idea what you were doing. I just, <laughs> I just clicked send request. And, and then I accepted your request <laughs> yeah. and we had a lucky chat and, and you now, put yeah. me on the spot and you're like, dude, I sent you a message to come on my podcast and you haven't responded. And I was like, bro, don't worry, let's make it happen. And here we are. Awesome. And I really appreciate that. Man. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Um, I think our beers are here. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, cheers, cheers man. man. Cheers. Good seeing you. Oh, yeah. How... How has like your lockdown been? How like, you know, how long has this period been over the past few months? Has he been Bro, busy it's, as it's, well? It's, it's been tough for a lot of people, but I'd be lying if I said it's been tough for me. Mm -hmm. It's been uh, a very productive time. Um, I don't know what it is, but I think, uh, you know, having time to just be creative, mm -hmm. uh, and not be, you know, in Joburg or Durban one weekend after the other has put me in a very interesting creative space. And I, I think I've found a bit of a niche with parody music. I've, I've really enjoyed writing parodies. Yeah. Um, so that's been a nice creative outlet during this time. I was, mean, was that a conscious decision you sort of made when, you, when this lockdown announced? Definitely not conscious. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I kind of just saw an opportunity to to make people laugh about our current situation, and I think the fact that it's a global problem that everyone's going through, I was able to tap into a global market. So mm -hmm. the things I was singing about weren't just happening to us in South Africa. It was in America, the UK, and all over the place. So. I think my parodies uh, transcended our borders yeah. and uh, I was able to, to speak to people in America. So my YouTube grew from you know, 3,000 subscribers to now 65,000. And I think that's largely due to you know, finding a, a, an overseas audience and uh, yeah, just seeing about things that everyone's kind of going through. That, that must be quite awesome for you now because that means you have gigs to potentially do overseas because you've got a bigger audience overseas now. Yeah, I mean, even the gigs we're getting now, people yeah. are saying, are you going to be doing your parodies? And uh, yeah. kind of have to restructure the show to kind of cater for this uh, new audience that we found. So, yeah, the Kiffness is normally kind of just like jazzy house music, similar to like what Goldfish and Good Luck do. But now there's this uh, parody element that we, we're kind of introducing to the show. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting thing I, I was thinking about yesterday, is that like, you, so you produce some really good music. Um, so like for instance, like You Say You Love Me is like one of my favorite, favorite songs. Thanks, man. Um, and obviously you've been producing so much satire, so much parody music. 
is there not what's how do you sort of balance the two like um, because satire is obviously more joking and yeah there's a, there's a potential for you to not be taken as seriously in terms of a musical realm yeah um, how do you sort of balance that now because obviously you've been producing way more satire as opposed to your traditional music yeah the kiffness it's always been an interesting project for me because yeah. even before the, the parodies mm -hmm. you know I was making quite serious music but I also was making memes and and doing quite jokey stuff mm. And I always struggle to kind of marry the two. You know, this musicality on one side, but this humorous element on the other. And I think with parody, it's kind of a, a perfect combo of the two, where I'm showing off my musicality, but also my sense of humor. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's been key to its success. Yeah. But when it comes to songs like You Say Love Me, it maybe does feel a little bit off-brand, yes. especially if you, if you haven't heard that stuff before, which is why I've actually started a side project under my own name, David Scott. Oh, yeah? Uh, because I think it might be a good idea to separate the two. Um, so I've released an EP under my own name, David Scott, which is, it sounds a bit more like the You Say Love Me stuff, but even more sort of introspective. Mm. Um, and, and that EP's done incredibly well on, on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, so yeah, I think the kiffness going forward is just going to be, you know, in line with the parody stuff. Mm. Like if, if I do make original music, it's more kind of uh, funny, out there kind of music like the Hardy Da song and yeah. Mafro, which I've just released now, yeah. which is like a song about... You know, an English guy like me doing his Afrikaans modeling, so I'm going to keep the kiffness as that vibe. And then uh, the more serious stuff I'll release under David Scott. So I suppose you could compare me to someone like Rowan Atkinson, who's, yeah. who's a serious actor, but then he's also Mr. Bean. Yeah. And I'd say the kiffness kind of lends itself to like a Mr. Bean characteristic and then mm. David Scott is like the, the serious musician. Yeah, but there's also like some confusion though about whether it's a band or it's a singular because on, on like when, you, when I did all my research for, the, um, for, for this was it was you were the front man of the kiffness and there's three of you and well two of you and a vocalist. Um, how does it really work? Is it, you, are, you have your own band and you are the Kiffness. Yeah, it, it is, I suppose, confusing, but the best way to put it is the Kiffness is my project. And then when, we, when I perform the Kiffness live, I have bandmates who join me to kind of mm. turn it into a live uh, performance rather than just like a DJ type thing so it's okay it's uh, I suppose you could compare it to like Bonobo um, where Bonobo is the project and then like for the live performance there'll be a, a drummer and a bassist and, and all kinds of elements so my bandmates are involved to some degree uh, you know they'll They'll maybe write the keys or, or the saxophone line on the song, but essentially it's my project. I produce all the music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's what what's your cause as a creator? Because I've now only recently started doing like podcasts and trying to create stuff. What's your sort of creative process? Because I've, I've always been interested to un understand how people go about creating one content that is going to be interesting and new and unique. Um, and you, pretty much all your stuff is unique. 
Um, and that's one thing I really like about you. It's there's no one else who's really co- who's doing something similar in South Africa. Um, and that's what my aim is with this podcast. Is I wanted to do this video form podcast because no one else is doing it in the way I am doing it. Yeah. So I want to understand what is your creative process and. Um. Well, the, the most important thing for me is to enjoy the creative process. Yeah. If, if it starts feeling forced or contrived, yeah. then it's normally not worthwhile. So my, my main objective is to just enjoy the process, first and foremost. No matter what it is, if it's making a meme, or a parody or a serious song, I have to be in a mood where I'm like, okay, this is actually what I want to do right now. As soon as I start thinking, uh, I need to make a song for radio, and I'm like, okay, making a radio song, it just falls flat. It becomes contrived. And I've learned over the years that, you know, the process is the prize. Whatever happens after that, is actually just a distraction from the creative process. For me, that's like the most important thing. Like when I'm in the studio and I have an idea and you know, I start experimenting and I'm in that zone where I'm just having fun really. Yeah. That's where it's at. Yeah. Everything else is a distraction. Yeah. As soon as you start setting your sights on you know, this needs to achieve this, or this needs to, like, I want this award, I want to win a Sama, then you're dead in the water. Okay. So, that's, that's it for me. Like, everyone has their own process, but for me, the key is just to enjoy what I'm doing. Be natural. Because a lot of your, your stuff is, is I, would say, I wouldn't say there's a lack of inhibition, but there's, there's quite a creative and, like, free-flowingness to it. Like, do you ever find when you like create, when you're creating stuff, like let's say for instance, the clicks, the recent one, the Jerusalem um, parody. Yeah. For me, creating something like that, I would constantly be like, I'd have a lot of inhibition and I'd constantly be nervous about putting that out there because of the potential backlash. Yeah. How have you sort of managed that and managing that sort of inhibition? Well, yeah, I, I knew for a fact that some people weren't going to like it purely yeah. because uh, Jerusalem is like a praise song so there's that element and it happened with uh, the national anthem, anthem yeah. as well there are yeah. people that feel that you know songs with a, a sort of spiritual element to them are off bounds yes I'm a spiritual person myself I'm a Christian yeah um, but I, I believe there's no sacred cows. There's nothing that's off bounds. Um, and I must be honest, the only reason I made it was because Jerusalem sounds exactly like Julius Malema. Yeah. So it, it made sense. It's like a trending song. It sounds exactly like Julius Malema, who I wanted to make a song about. And it just You're made sense. <laughs> it made sense. Yeah. So, you know, that, that sparked the, the whole creative process. I really enjoyed writing the lyrics and just, you know, making satire, which is exposing, you know, the ridiculousness of a situation. And I, I do think the whole situation is absurd. In, you know, are you talking about the clicks thing? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, yeah, the, the whole situation in general. Yeah. I think everyone, 
or anyone has the right to be offended by the advert, I don't hold that against them. But how, how you respond to that feeling, I think is important. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that. Because so, so for those who don't know, Clicks released an, um, an advert in which they compared white hair and black hair. Um, and white hair was fine, normal, and I think there was another word for it. And then black hair was frizzy and dull and damaged and wasn't normal, they deemed as normal. Yeah. Um, and Clicks obviously received a lot of backlash for it. Um, and what happened then was the EFF then decided to really take this into their own hands and they shut down all the Click stores nationwide. I think 28 or 27 were damaged. Um, through either, like, the one was petrol bombed, yeah. um, and other ones were just vandalized. Um, so you released this, that song in, in response to that. Yeah. You disagreed with their, with their methods, yeah. and you also, de you also called it a, a mistake, right? If I'm if I'm not misquoting you, this in is what song. I I'll, yeah you said you said in in an article I read, uh, you were quoted as saying the clicks ad was a mistake on clicks's part. If well, yeah, I I think it's a bit of a stretch to call it racist. Okay. I do think uh, they could have gone about it differently. I yeah. think uh, the ad definitely invites offensive energy. Yes. It invites people to be upset about it. And I don't see anything wrong with that. To call it racist, I yeah. think is see, is interesting. Yeah, for me, for me, I've always I've always thought racism had needs to come from a point, a place of maliciousness. Yeah. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that the clicks advert was a mistake. I don't think I don't think on that level. I think the stakes are too high at that level to call it a mistake. I think you should know better, and you should have your checks and balances in place yeah. to not make that mistake. No, no, I, I totally agree with you in that I think there was no ill intent. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they apologized is, for me, debatable whether it was uh, warranted or not. But they, they did apologize, which I think, you know, I read the apology and, you know, it's, it's easy for me as a person who's not affected by the ad to say, you know, this apology was sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm not in the position where I'm offended by the ad. Yeah. But removing emotion from the situation, I think uh, it, it was sufficient. Um, you know, also keeping into consideration that, you know, fine and flat hair isn't necessarily a compliment either. Yeah. Which, which I think a lot of people might not understand. If, yeah. if, if your hair is fine, that's not that's not like fine. You know, it's it's yeah. you know it's an advert. They're saying that if your hair is this way, we can improve it. That's what adverts do. They're selling yeah. you something that you need to make your life better. Yeah. See, uh, but but I also think yeah. you know by Clix's standards or Tresemme's standards at least my hair would be considered normal, which I don't agree with. Yeah. I don't think there is such a thing as normal hair. I yeah. think everyone is born with a certain type of hair and we need to accept how we are. Yeah. Can I give you an example? Um, so I, was, I personally wasn't offended by the advert, but I completely get the outrage. Not EFF's outrage, but I get people being offended um, by the advert. And I'll give you an example. When I was younger, so I'm adopted. 
So I have a white family. So we're in the shower. There'd always be a tracer man. Funny enough, it was tracer man. And it was always saying normal hair. And I never sh shampooed uh, my hair because I didn't think my hair was supposed to be shampooed. And only like after school, my mate's like, dude, your hair stinks. <laughs> like, <laughs> did I, did I realize, he was like, you can, you can use the shampoo. And that was the first time I actually started using the shampoo. So like, adverts like that, they just perpetuate the sort of, I wouldn't say inferiority complex, but it perpetuates this idea that black is different and black back is bad, you know, if you understand what I'm saying. I totally, so, I get that yeah. 100%. Yeah, so it's... So ad, that advert like that for me, I think it it should never happen. It, yeah. And it was it, I was disappointed, disappointed, but I was shocked to find that the team that did it or approved it was quite a multiracial team. Yeah. Which was the funny. And, and I think that's why, you know, I think the outrage, to to some extent, is is just a bit over the top because the fact that there were people of color in the team that approved the ad. Yeah just goes to show how like small the, the error was. And I really do think it is a small error because, yeah. you know, given that there were people of color on the team, they should have, if it was a big thing, they should have been it's able to bigger. see this is a bad idea. But I think in passing, I think, you know, without giving the ad too much thought, you would just think it's a normal advert. But it's only when you start analyzing it and, nit and nitpicking it that it becomes a problem and I yeah. think given like you know the problems that we have in a country the fact that this is the thing that the media focuses on mm. and and gave like 24 hours of, of you know headlines and and just rolling news on mm. it's just it's interesting to me but I, I also think that was probably just a sign of the times because everyone has been reporting on one thing and one thing only for the past six months and that's been locked up so yeah. it, it was a little bit of a change of pace. Um, but I'm interested to also find out, because you, you come under a lot of pressure, especially on Twitter. I hate Twitter now. But you come a lot under pressure because you'll often be deemed as racist. And this goes back to what we, we were saying now, because we, we spoke about the malicious intent. I don't, I don't think any of your work is racist uh, from the onset. But, um, but you have had, for instance, you've had the mayor of uh, Ekuleni, Zwandile um, Masino, I think that's his name. Correct, yeah. Uh, he calls you a racist on Twitter, and you actually, you guys actually had a, a, a conversation, which is the funniest thing was what the people call our people for racism. The second you start speaking to them, it's, they backtrack on that sort of like verbose, aggressive approach quite quickly. Yeah. And I also noticed in the lead up to this, because I asked around a few people who I've known to call you out on social media and whatnot and they weren't gonna they weren't willing to offer any form of dialogue to, um, to, for me to ask you. yeah um, but I've always wondered what it's like for you to to keep getting attacked on those things when there's no malicious intent well the thing is I I I stand for the truth yeah or at least what I think is true I don't think I'll ever know the full truth, but yeah. if I think something is true, I will stand by that regardless of what I'm called, because once you know the truth, it doesn't matter what people call you because you're standing on, on solid ground. Yeah. 
And I firmly believe in, in what I say, yeah. um, regardless of what people say. And yeah. but, but the important thing for me is to you know, try and find common ground. And, and I think that's, that's where South Africa is lacking at the moment, is that people are very quick to take sides because when you take a side, it's easy to make the other side the enemy. Um, but I don't take sides. I think there's elements of truth um, on, on both extremes. So like if you look at someone on the extreme left and the extreme right, they'll, they'll normally be fighting for something uh, that partly tells the truth. But as someone who studied philosophy, yeah. this is something that will always stick with me, that, yeah. that Aristotle taught, was that the truth generally lies in the middle of two extremes. And, and I believe that. When you have the extreme left and the extreme right, they both think they're correct. But I, I, more often than not, I feel that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And that's what I'm after. And if people call me racist for that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I'll always try, if, if I do engage with people that, you know, call me crazy things, I'll either ignore it if I have nothing to add to what they're saying, because I don't want to cause, I don't want to fan the flames. Yeah. I'll either try and respond with kindness or at least maintain a sense of humor. Yeah. And I think those two things are so important, yeah. to be kind, and if you, if you can't be kind, at least have a, have a funny response to what they're saying, because yeah. I think it's so important to be able to just laugh at things, laugh no, at yourself as well, Yeah, yeah. That's but, but just laugh at situations, so yeah. instead of getting like angry about what Messina said or angry about what Julius Malema did, you know, be kind or laugh. Yeah. Um, and I actually respect Messina for the fact that he took he, he took the time to speak to me. Yeah. I have mad respect for him. You did. Because, you did. as you say, a lot of my detractors, they'll call me racist. And then as soon as I reach out to speak to them, run away. they normally, <laughs> they run away. Yeah. And, but, um, but you know what, I think, sorry, I just quickly, um, is there anything you want to uh, um, eat? The Hudson Burger. You probably get the Hudson. Okay, I'll probably, I'll probably get the same as well. Um, so, uh, one of the things I really liked about um, about what he Messina raised some good points, and the problem totally. is the problem is is by labeling someone a racist from the get go, you're you're immediately dismissing any potential of actually constructive engagement. Yeah. So. He, for instance, he said the national anthem is a, is a symbol of unity yeah. um, and it's an important symbol in this country. That is a very valid point. Like, to, for instance, to say, like, maybe don't mess around with the national anthem would have been quite a valid point. Yeah. But he, he, he used racism and then he subsequently used the national anthem and, as a symbol to defend NDZ, which yeah. I don't really think... It's like he has to pick an, a way of arguing, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. No. Don't get me wrong, if Messina had come to me and said, listen, I think that what you did was disrespectful. Yes. I'd be like 100%, you're more than, you're more than welcome to say that because 
you know, he comes from a, a, a sort of school of thought where, you know, it is a, it's a sacred song and, and he fought for the anthem, like during apartheid, to, to, to have this song that includes so many of our national languages. Yes, yeah. They fought hard for that. And, and then for, for me, for me to come along and, and, and sort of put my own spin on it, like I can understand how, how many people would think that's uh, disrespectful. And yeah. I have no problem with people who, who think that. So Dave, I wanna, I wanna take the conversation to back to your roots. Cause I wanna find out how you sort of got to, got to this point, like how did, who, what happened to make it the way that you are and what did you study? Um, yeah, so let's, let's probably start from that. Like, where did you start your musical journey? Well, I've always been in the choir, the jazz band, you know, that kind of thing. But if, mm -hmm. if we go right back to the beginning, my appreciation of music started with classical music. My earliest memories are of me sitting in my cot with my little milk bottle, listening to Handel's water music. And I just sit for hours and hours listening to this stuff. And um, yeah, I started learning the piano at a very young age. I, I taught myself. My grandmother, who I never met, unfortunately, was a concert pianist. But one of the things she left behind was her baby grand. And uh, I would sit at this baby grand, you know, just plonk around on the notes and slowly but surely kind of taught myself how to play the piano. Um, and then, yeah, throughout school, uh, my junior school, Pridwin, started a, a big band. And it was headed by this scary German guy who came into our classroom and said, you're going to play saxophone. You're going to play trombone. And then when he pointed at me, he said, you're going to play trumpet. Yeah. And in that moment, kind of determined my fate. So, yeah, since junior school, been playing the trumpet. Mm -hmm. Um, when I got to Rhodes, I started DJing. My mates and I went to the Union, a club that all the students go to, and um, we we're kind of listening to this DJ, and we we're like, surely we could play better music than this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we are, we we put in our application to become DJs at this club. We got the job, and for many years I DJed at the Union, and. I think it was second year O week. What was your genre? We just played music we loved, you know, Fat Boy Slim, Daft Punk, uh, Chemical Brothers, just like good electronic music. And then second year O week, I saw Goldfish perform for the first time. And to see these guys take, you know, music from sort of like band realm and DJ Realm and mesh them together was mind-blowing for me. When I saw them, I was like, that's what I want to do. Because while I was at Rhodes, I was DJing, but I was also playing in jazz bands. So when, yeah, when I saw them doing that, I was like, I want to do this one day. It's like the perfect combo of these two worlds that I love. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after Rhodes, I'd, I came to Cape Town to do sound engineering so that I could learn more about music production. And while I was producing my music, I was playing trumpets and keys over my music. And 
slowly kind of started making music that was similar to what Goldfish were doing. What did you study at Rhodes? I did music and philosophy. Right. Um, started with a B journal, but uh, that Basically, wasn't for that me. explains the writing. <laughs> yeah, so journalism, you know, wasn't for me, so I carried on with philosophy instead. And um, yeah, really enjoyed my time at Rhodes, but yeah, Cape Town was, was a welcome change to Grahamstown. <laughs> and, um, Especially for your liver, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, Grahamstown, too much drinking. Um, and yeah, I got to know Goldfish, who, who kind of helped me learn the ropes with live electronic music. They, they gave me an opening slot for Submerged Sundays. At Shimmy. At, at Shimmy, yeah. Or back then it was St. Eve's in okay. Camp Spare, yeah. Um, and yes, my music got better and better. It was good enough for, for radio back in 2013. And then once I got my stuff onto radio, I started getting more bookings. And yeah, started started very humbly at a small club called Surf Cafe in Plet. Yeah. It's a restaurant like this where people would just be eating their food and we were playing this high energy dance music. Slowly but surely people started moving the tables away, making a bit of a dance floor. And uh, it ended up being a, a heaving event every Friday during December. Yeah. And then um, someone from Sony Music was there one night, saw our show and, and signed us. So, so that, that was the start of my journey. Speaking of December, do you think um, Plates in December is going to be as busy or De December is going to be as busy gig-wise this year? It's tough to say. There's so much up in the air. Yeah. But Matric Rage, which we played every year, has that's, been postponed. postponed yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say. I don't think it'll be as busy, but I'm sure venues will, will do what they can to kind of just cater. What have, have you been getting more gigs now that we're on like level one? What is your, how has your gig schedule been actually this year? So yeah, now that it's level one, yeah. gigs are starting to come in. Uh, I think it was level two. We, we were doing like 50ths and, you know, just small events yeah. for, for people that could, you know, afford our set fee. Um, but yeah, it's probably going to stay like that for a while. I don't think festivals are going to come back anytime soon. Yeah, because also like the toughest thing about this whole lockdown has been the entertainment industry has sort of been forgotten and the events industry actually uh, as well. Because I'm, I'm in the events industry sort of. Um, and it's tough, man. Like, uh, especially because everyone talks about this, oh, we could go have another peak like the UK and we could go into a harsher lockdown and whatnot. It's like the events industry really cannot take going into more harsher restrictions. Like people haven't had income for six months, um, which is which is really horrible. Is this, is this your, the fragrance? This is where, this is my, my, my tie into this conversation. So yeah. if you're a musician and you don't have income, yeah. start a fragrance, <laughs> <laughs> which so, is what okay, I've done. Why do I smell it? I've actually been, I've been really so that's the ladies. In is it the ladies? So I, because I've had no gigs, I decided now's the time to start a fragrance. <laughs> so that's the ladies. Good. There's uh -huh. the men. 
And um, it started as a meme. Yo, dude, it actually smells really good. So it's a, yeah, it's an A-grade quality uh, French parfum. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a nice thing to kind of just do on the side. The funniest write-up was what I saw in this, where you said, it even makes a noise. Tick, tick. <laughs> I'll prove it. Sick. Sick. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a fun little side project and it's, it's kept a little bit of a, an income going. How, how, is it, how is it going? Like, is it going quite well? Yeah. Better than you Su expected? Surprisingly well. I think um, it's always tough for people to buy something that they haven't smelt, but I think people are buying it just for the novelty, and then when they buy it, they actually realize it's, it's a legit fragrance. Yeah, um, like legit. So... This smells really good, actually. <laughs> yeah. how, did you, how did you go about sourcing it and, and starting the whole process? So it started as a meme. Yeah. I just made a, just a funny meme because uh, my photographer had taken a photo of me that when I saw it, I was like, yes, see, this looks like a fragrance commercial. So I took the opportunity to, to make like a fun mock-up fragrance called Tsek yeah. and make it into a meme. And then I was reading the comments and people were saying, where can I buy this? So I thought, you know what? I know this is a joke, but it could actually work out. So I just put the word out, I said, does anyone know a perfumer? And someone in Joburg said, well, yeah, I know someone who does this for a living. So I got in touch, they sent me a bunch of samples to kind of test out. My wife and I went through them, kind of sussed out which ones we liked, and yeah, we ended up with a, a product that we're, we're proud of. Where, where can you buy it? So at the moment, it's just at sackfragrance.com. So I set up a, an online store through Shopify and, and that was a, a cool learning experience for me. But yeah, there's been interest from, from retailers. I think the, 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 the goal is to kind of get it on, on shelves. Apparently there's uh, empty shelf space at clicks at the moment, so <laughs> might capitalize on that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but... Uh, yeah, just interested to see where it goes. Awesome, dude. I wish you, I wish you all luck with that. It's a really interesting experience starting something. Yeah. Uh, is this your first sort of business venture? I mean, I've done merchandise and, and that kind of thing in the past, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's worth pursuing for me and, and turning into a legitimate business, yeah. But it, I've, I've also started my own record label, Kiff Records. Oh, cool. Are you, uh, so you no longer sign the Sony? No, so in today's day and age, as an independent artist, you can do pretty much everything a label offers. Uh, most major labels use third-party services that's available to everyone, but uh, the key is to just understand, you know, as an independent artist, what's available to you. So when I got signed, my my goal was to have my, my album in stores, like music and look and listen. Obviously that's entirely changed because no one buys CDs anymore. Um, all I want is for my, my songs to be on the right playlists on Spotify and Apple Music and you know, have it play on radio if needs be. But I can do that all myself, so I realized you know, it's, it's time to take control because labels take 
you know, 80% of your, of your revenue, which doesn't make sense in today's world. So That's I've, I've taken ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it so high? Well, back in the day, I mean, you needed a label to, to help you get your CD into stores. They had the connections at radio, so it made sense. Yeah. It was very difficult to get onto the radio and to get your CD on, in, in stores as an independent artist. But yeah, the whole landscape has changed. Um, mm -hmm. But major labels haven't really changed their, their models. So Are they dying out or...? Yeah, labels are shrinking by the day. It's, um, yeah, it's, I'd say in the next 10 years, major labels aren't going to exist. Yeah. So everyone will just be independent? Either independent or signed to labels that offer a much fairer split. So yeah. my latest EP I signed to a much smaller label, but they offer me 80%. And they take 20%, which makes way more sense, because... Mm. Um, um, can ex explain why you would still be signed to a label now? What is the value in, the, in it now? I suppose appearance, maybe. To be able to say I'm signed to Universal or Sony might, yeah. you know, make it seem like you're more legitimate in some way. Um, apart from that, no real reason. As, as far as I can think of. I mean, they can offer you an advance, which is also quite helpful, I guess. So if you're an up and coming artist and you don't have 50 grand lying around to, to shoot a music video, a label can offer you that upfront and then recoup it through streaming or, or radio play and that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm laughing only because in my head, I'm thinking about your white privilege music video. Mm -mm. in which you are calling your label. Was that a genuine conversation? Genuine. Like, so who's the person on the other line? Is that like a, the producer? What is he? He's kindly role? asked to not be named. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a genuine conversation, but I didn't actually want 400 grand yeah. to, to shoot a music video. I was, I was trying to just get a response out of them. <laughs> yeah, you told you're mad. <laughs> um, Justin's having a laugh with Queen there. <laughs> yeah. So we had a good laugh about it afterwards. Yeah. It, I felt like Wackhead Simpson, like pranking the guy, you know? Mm. So it was quite funny. Um, but yeah, I think, although it was funny, it goes to show that you can make your own music video, you can do everything yourself. You don't need to rely on a label. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah, this is sort of what I was asking is, is why would you want to sign to a label when you can do everything yourself now? Um, which I get, I guess, I believe it. And the thing, the thing about starting my own label mm. is that every time your song plays on the radio, you get needle time. So let's say my song Sugarman plays on uh, KFM and, yeah. it, and it gets 200 rand. That's a private station, right? Yeah, okay. and it gets 200 rand needle time. SABC don't pay needle time just because mm. whatever reason they have. So I actually want to talk about this. So I'm glad that you brought it up. So um, I think it was the end of 2019. Well, started, I think it started around August in last year. Um, you started 
going at the SABC because they weren't paying royalties out to artists. I think they owed like 216 million rand around there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I want to know like a few, th I have a few questions because there's one thing I did in my research. It was I couldn't find a resolution. So I think they had aimed to have paid everyone out by the end of September. Have, did they do that? The last I've heard is that they've partially paid Samro. And artists are registered with Samro, if I'm not mistaken. There are four separate royalty collection agencies. It's yeah. absolutely mad. In the States, there's PRS, one. In, um, sorry, ASCAP in the States. In the UK, it's PRS. And it's just one royalty collection society that looks after everything. Mm. For some unknown reason in South Africa, we have four, and you have to be members of all of them. Capasso, Samro, Sampra, and Risa. It's mad. There should only be one. Do you pay a fee to each one? You have to, to be a member of Capasso and Risa, you have to pay membership, which I also don't understand. But to, to simplify the, you know, just how it all works, Samro pays songwriters and Sampra pays performers. So we've done a cover of Sugarman, right? Mm -hmm. Sugarman was written by Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah. So when our version of Sugarman plays on radio. Samro pays Rodriguez because he's the songwriter. And then Sampra pays us because we performed our version of the song. So Samro has been partially paid by the SABC, which is good news for Rodriguez because he's mm. going to be getting his money from Samro now. Performers aren't getting anything because, yeah, Sampra just hasn't been paid. Yeah. Which is why I've taken all my music off the SABC. Because Which there's no way in hell that I'm going to let the SABC play my music for free. Which means it's being played on which platform? It's like, that's 5M part of them, right? Correct. Um, so Prime Media, Prime Media is private. Prime Media is private. Okay, yeah. yeah. How many private stations are there? Or private uh, groups are there? Prime Media is the main one, so Prime Media owns KFM, Cape Talk, 702, and Highfelt. Um, there are other private stations like, uh, what's it called? I forget the name. But in Durban, there's, there's a private station, East Coast Radio. Yeah. So, so any stations that isn't government owned, I'm happy to send my music to, but as far as I know, I'm the only one who's really made a stand against it because Yeah, and you made quite a large stand as well. Because I mean, also last year when the Rugby World Cup was on, they suddenly managed to find all the funds to be able to, to broadcast it. No one better than I. Have, have any figures come out uh, um, from that? Of how much that deal between them and Supersport was? Of course, they're not going to release the figures because it's probably going to be more than what, what yeah. they're owing I mean, artists. The SABC got a massive bailout, like 
2.1 billion. So to pay back Samra and Sampra and all the organizations they owe money to would have been a drop in the ocean. 10%, a tithe, if you must. But uh, yeah, they obviously just feel like they, they, what if they are what if, to themselves. What if they said is the reason for non-payment? They don't have a reason. It's just because we it's, it's just like, well, we don't want to pay you. We'd rather keep this money for ourselves. If artists aren't going to complain about it, then why should we pay? If there's only one artist, the Kifner's complaining, that's not a problem. I, I'm not understanding. Why would artists like, like AKA or Casper Your Best or Nasty C and them? Because they should be owed lots then. If they are, if they are, are they being paid? Is, the, is it a case of they're paying the people at the top and sort of the guys maybe middle and below aren't getting paid? Without trying to cause offense by suggesting that you're in the middle. Yeah, so, no, I, I know that I'm somewhere in the middle. Mm. But AKA is part of IMPRA, which is another collecting organization. Um, the Independent Music Performance Rights Association, IMPRA. Yeah. So IMPRA represents, I think it's 4% of the performers in South Africa. Sampra, the one I'm part of, represents 96% of performers, about 20,000 performers. Yeah. For some unknown reason, when, the SA, when it was time for the SABC to pay, you know, the needle time to Impra and Sampra, they paid 80% to Impra. And they only wanted to pay 20% to Sampra, which makes no sense. So 80% going to, four, to an organization that only represents 4% and 20% to an organization that represents 96 that, That's true. That's really for the reasons you've just said, though, is that you're, you're only one artist making a big sting. So if, if the bigger artists aren't making a big sting, nothing's gonna, there's not going to be a knock-on effect. Yeah, so, so because AKA represents quite a lot of Impress catalog, AKA got like a million rand. So he's happy. Because, you know, the SABC paid such a big amount to Impra, and AKA is Impra's biggest artist. So he, he was laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. Meanwhile, members of Sampra are sitting with nothing. But have you guys not met to, to talk about this? Like, I, I I'd love to meet AKA and... Uh, but it, the thing is, it's not AKA's fault. Yeah. It's the SABC's fault for making this crazy decision. It just makes no sense. Um, so it's, it's, it's undergoing litigation, but, oh, but it, it's been going on for years now. So until it's resolved, I'm not sending my music to the SABC. Yeah. I'm not letting them play my music for free. It would be in an ideal world, every musician who has music on the SABC should just remove their music. And then the SABC would have no choice but to, to pay up. Weren't the, weren't the SABC the one that took the stance, I think like maybe five years back or so, that 75% of their music that they play on air would be local music? Yeah. That, that's, that's what stuffed up everything. Oh, really? Yeah. What was, why? 
2019, it was Claudi Motz, uh, yeah, Claudi Motz oh, yeah, who made the, that decision. And when he made that decision, yeah. I, I was duped. I thought, this is amazing. Yeah, that's what everyone would have thought. That's what I would have thought. That's what. And to me, he was a hero. It was only months after when I realized, you know, advertisers who, who essentially pay our royalties were pulling out left, right and center because listenership was dropping. Whether you like it or not, people want to hear Justin Bieber, Rihanna, international hits. That's what people listen to radio for. Uh, it's nice that they play local music, but stations were now scrambling. They had to, you know, create a new playlist essentially that was inferior to the playlist that they were used to. Yeah. So, you know, sponsorship was being completely pulled and yeah, it, only in hindsight I realized it was the worst possible thing ever because suddenly now the SABC didn't have money because of this outrageous decision. So when the bailout came, mm. you know, it, it was a chance to, to set things right, but obviously, you know, artists are, are not a priority for them, so... Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I have to take a principled stance. No, and I, I respect that a lot. I respect that a lot. I actually want to... I want to end off soon, um, but I want to ask you some quick-fire questions, so that's fine with you. Um, so let me pull them. Um, the Musima Money track. Yes. So... This is the weird one because it sounded like you were praising the DA, but upon hearing like you were speaking about the podcast and whatnot, it originally started out as an sort of like a, you were taking the Mickey out of the DA. Is yeah, it's, it's an interesting song. So anyone who's been following my music okay. knows that I like to create stuff that's in a gray area where you're not sure if I'm being serious or not. So like White Privilege, for, for example, is a yeah. song where, you know, I'm singing about White Privilege, but you're not sure if I'm being serious or not. The, the elements of it that are serious, the elements where I'm taking the piss, but I like to leave it up to the audience to decide for themselves. Yeah. You cool? said you got, <laughs> you were striked on YouTube for copyright infringement. Which song is that for? I got a strike for my parody of Toto Africa. So, oh, funny yeah. enough, I actually got a message from a fan saying that they know the guitarist in, in Toto. Yeah. And they sent them my parody. And then the next day it was off YouTube. So I'm assuming the guitarist from didn't Toto like didn't like the song. <laughs> went straight to the lawyer and said, take this thing off. And the thing is, with my parodies, um, most people turn a blind eye. Yeah. Because they, they're getting money from, from the streaming, and normally they don't have a problem. But I think Toto, Toto they, so much, they, yeah. they're probably such purists that they're like, no, 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 we can't let this guy flipping. They're on Afri they African, eh? No, it's, it's American the strangest band. thing, yeah. It's an American band, isn't it? Yeah, so surely as a South African, I mean, I have claim to the song, <laughs> but clearly not. Crazy. <laughs> Okay, um, what, what does it mean for you to be proudly South African? This is literally just quick fire questions. The answer is to be the most amazing questions in the world. To be proudly South African. Someone told me that the 
the biggest patriot is the one that can mock his own country. So if that's true, then I'm the biggest patriot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, your favorite country to travel to? Because you did, you did like a year off, eh? Yeah. Um, well, three months, yeah. Three months. Three months in 2018, my wife and I traveled Europe. And Norway has to be my favorite country. We, we, Why? We spent some time in the fjords. Uh, just beautiful. We, we went fishing off the rocks, caught like fresh mackerel. The fjords are just something else, like swimming in the North Sea, just being in a completely different world was, was amazing. And then Italy as well. Norway and Italy. Where in Italy? Sure. I really enjoyed Florence. One of my, my best memories is going to the Gelato Festival and almost being like drunk on gelato, having eaten like all these different gelatos and then falling asleep in the Michelangelo Rose Garden and then waking up not knowing where I was, but like overlooking the amazing chapel there. Just a beautiful flipping city, man. Awesome, awesome. And then um, what have you got up and coming this next, next month? Up and coming. Where can people find you? I see you are La Parada on Sunday. Yeah, playing La Parada. There might be a Cafe Rue gig in the, in the works. Um, what else? Played Rage is postponed. Uh, There's no submit Sundays. There, there, there might be a, a Tiger's Milk gig somewhere. Oh, lovely. I saw yeah. you actually, you played there a few weeks ago. Yeah, didn't you? No, I love Tiger's Milk. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm there every Friday, so I love it. I, love it. I know I'm not allowed to say that in Hudson's, but uh, <laughs> Tiger's Milk is, yeah. is also up there with Hudson's. Um, yeah, but I'm just going to maybe lay low on songs about hair. Maybe stick to less controversial topics. Yeah. For my own well-being and safety. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, no real plans. Just, yeah. just to finish my kitchen. My kitchen's currently being renovated. It's now week three with no kitchen, no flipping dishwasher. So we're washing all our dishes in the lots bath. Of, lots of takeouts. Are you eating from Hudson's as you take out? Eating takeouts, but when we do cook. It's on a little gas cooker and yeah. yeah, it's like camping in my own house. So that, that's priority number one. Awesome. Kitchen. Awesome. That's <laughs> and then uh, the last one is end of light. Um, lockdown, good or bad? For me or just in general? In general. I think in general, good thing. I think... Uh, it was an opportunity for people to rediscover what it is that they actually want to do with their lives. I think there are too many people running around aimlessly through life, doing things that they don't necessarily want to do. And for me at least, it's, it's been an opportunity to discover parts of me that have laid dormant for too long. Yeah. And essentially, I think that's the purpose of life, is to discover the things that you love doing as a child, the things that would make the hours pass by. And, uh, you know, rediscover that. 
and uh, try and tap into that, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dave Scott, thank you so much for your time. It's been a thank pleasure you, having a beer with you. Yeah, man. I'll see you around soon and good luck with your gigs.